Hi everyone, my name's Clayton and I'm one of the pastors at Clearview Community Church. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now right now we're walking through a series where we're teaching through the book of Luke found in your New Testament. We're approaching the midpoint now and we've begun to notice some themes, some common and repeated conversations and some incredibly impactful truths. So today we read from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. So it says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was carefully being watched. There, in front of him, was a man who was suffering from abnormal swelling of the body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not, but they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away, sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And again, they had nothing to say. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked their places, Around the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. And then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all of the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So this is uh, one of the healing conflicts on the Sabbath. It's actually the third one in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 6, the disciples are picking some grain to eat a bit of food. And then in Luke chapter 13, Jesus heals a crippled woman, both happening on the Sabbath. And the basic problem here is a premise that the religious leaders were making rules and standards, and they were setting expectations that limited reasonable actions for the sake of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, it was established as a part of the Israelites' weekly rhythm, not for the sake of avoiding work, but as a, as a reminder that they're no longer slaves to that specific work. It was a weekly rhythm that reminded them they were no longer captives under Egypt, but that they had been rescued. They had been freed from being forced to labor under harsh and horrible conditions. It was a weekly celebration and reminder that God had rescued them. 
And the idea was to do no work because you are free to not do work. It was a reminder that God rescues us, not ourselves rescuing ourselves. Sabbath was an ultimate act of freedom. But now the rules and the standards and the expectations became tedious and overbearing. The one command to honor the Sabbath took on a life of its own with scroll after scroll after scroll of instructions and rules to limit what you could do. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law would debate what actually constitutes work. Can I lift up a cup of water to my mouth to take a drink? It makes sense, but is the action of lifting work? Some ancient writings would note that you can lead a horse or a donkey to the water, or you can fill a bucket of water and carry it to that animal as long as it didn't go over a certain amount of steps, or as long as you left the bucket on the ground and didn't lift it for the animal to drink out of. You couldn't carry something in your arms, but you could carry it in a bag as long as the bag was held upside down. Try to figure that one out. You could also carry it on your foot, but on the top, not the bottom, not tied to your foot. It got complex, and slowly the point of the Sabbath, that I am rescued and free because of God, was forgotten in the mix of an immeasurable amount of rules and restrictions. So a man arrives on the Sabbath at the house of a Pharisee during a dinner, and this man is sick. His body is swelling oddly, and Jesus asks the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? Now, I think it's a trick question because they likely knew of the previous conversations surrounding the Sabbath with Jesus, and those didn't go well. So this time, they choose a different tactic. They chose to be silent. And so, Jesus, he heals the man. Now, it is important to note some more of the uh, cultural context around this scene. In the Jewish culture and in this day and age, touching someone with a deformity or a skin disease would cause you to be considered ceremonially and spiritually unclean. Now, I'm not advocating for this. I'm just telling you what it was like to be ceremonially unclean held the assumption that there was a hidden sin that the person was being punished for. The thought process would be something along the lines of this, that this man has a skin disease, which is a sign of evil in their life. And the consequence of that evil it's being shown out on their physical body. Therefore, people would see them and view them as spiritually contagious in a negative way. But Jesus touches him and heals him anyways, fully embracing the ceremonial uncleanness directly in front of the Pharisee, that prominent Pharisee, someone who's entirely dedicated to ceremonial purity. It's a confrontation without words at first, but then Jesus adds to it saying, well, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull them out? It's helpful also to know that in terms of those rules and restrictions about the Sabbath, there existed many of them that allowed for actions based off of mercy, especially towards animals. Things like the ox that falls into a well, you would save it. And also, obviously, a child, you would save that child. So if these two, the ox and the child, have enough value for you to exert strength in lifting them out of the well on a Sabbath, does something else change about the value of this man who lives with a deformity and enters the scene on the Sabbath? If you could help him, wouldn't you? And Jesus can. So why wouldn't he on this Sabbath as well? Now, Jesus follows this with a parable. 
He says, if you go to a feast, don't take the best seat of honor in the house in case it's taken away from you because you're going to be humiliated. Instead, sit in a humble seat. Get elevated to a more honor-filled position if the invite is there and offered to you. It's a story that hits home for this prominent Pharisee and the teachers of the law. This group highly valued that prized seat of honor. The culture dictated that one of the most important things in their social relationships was to be honored by another, often shown and demonstrated where people were physically placed in a room in their seats. Now, I've spent time in parts of the world where this is actually still a high social value. If there is a guest joining a family for dinner, they sit in one spot, and then the senior-most male sits beside the guest, and there's no questions asked. And if a more senior male joins the meal halfway, an hour or two in, everyone makes space for that man to sit beside the guest in the seat of honor. Again, no questions asked, no debates, just simply the way it is. It was a sign of great respect in these cultures. So finally, Jesus closes with some comments about when he hosts dinner. Remember, this host that he's speaking to, it's a Pharisee. The Pharisee is highly educated. They're highly influential. They're highly respected and highly honored and often honored. And that Pharisee valued all those things to their own high degree. He would value ceremonial purity. And Jesus's correction flies right in the face of that. If you're going to invite someone to a meal, he says, don't invite the most honorable, famous, influential people who, if they do accept and join your meal, that adds extra honor to you because you're in their presence. Instead, invite the people who don't have the social standing that you expect or desire. Jesus tells him to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and then you'll be blessed. It's completely contrary to what the Pharisee would think. He, tie, he would have tied blessing to being around the high society, but instead, Jesus says, invite the outcasts and you will be blessed. And things get really different really fast with Jesus here. So what do we learn from this passage? Well, I think that there's three points among many that I think I would like to highlight. So let's start with what seems to be the first one here is people matter most. I think people matter most, and that seems to be the heart of Jesus. It seems to me that there's a confrontation between the rules mattering more to the Pharisees and to the religious experts and other people and those teachers that comes against or versus people mattering more to Jesus. It's this rules versus people thing. And this conflict or tension that rips through the entirety of all four of the Gospels of Jesus, it is present heavily here. It bleeds into the rest of the New Testament historical books and the letters. I think there's a reason John writes in one of his letters, we love one another because God loves us first. If you follow Jesus, we're commanded to love people first because they matter most. We love people first because they matter most. And you see the rules. These uh, these don't like ones like don't work on the Sabbath, don't lift anything on the Sabbath. What if you actually do have to lift a child out of a well because the child was playing and they weren't paying attention and they were a little reckless and now we are in a pickle. We are in a situation. Of course, anybody would race to pull that child out of the well and risking their own safety to do so. What about rules and restrictions and regulations today though? Do some of your actions, while good in theory, maximize one thing while minimizing someone else's honor or someone else's value? I get caught in it too sometimes, choosing to do one thing, thinking that this is the rule and this is the plan and, and this is the restriction and this is how it's going to be, but only to turn around and realize that there's a personal cost to it that is way too high. 
people, they matter most to God. So when Jesus is in a situation on the Sabbath and he sees someone that he can help, that he can serve, that he can love, he can free and rescue, he does so. You see, that man, he was held captive by whatever was hurting him in in a way. Everywhere he went, people only saw his deformity. And by correlation, they saw and they assumed sin. And they assumed and gave shame, the opposite of honor. So every room that he walks into, every social experience, he is seen as a signal of sin and shame in the world. He is not seen as a person who is worth every ounce of love and honor that is due to someone who carries with them the image of God. And the Sabbath day is a celebration of freedom. So Jesus literally does an action that enacts the salvation and the freedom story. He frees the man from the shame that he carries with him. Why? Because people matter more. Now for our second point, our second takeaway, it's the question where your honor comes from. Now, this part I find fascinating. Jesus is invited to the dinner at the Pharisee's house, meaning that in some way, the Pharisee sees that inviting Jesus to dinner is an invite of somebody of honor into his own home and his own presence. There's an element of a power play going on here. There are other uh, people there called experts in the law. Notice that it says experts. It's not a college intern or a freshman student, but an expert in the law. The places of, of honor, they've been set. This is a place for the experts and the elite and the well-respected and highly honored. But then comes a man with this body swelling, some kind of disease or deformity, and he ranks last in the social hierarchy. And he's the one who's given attention by the guest of honor, Jesus. See, the culture and tradition had valued the viewpoint of people so highly that they forgot that the respect of these people was fragile. One false move, one mistake, one skin rash, and their respect and their honor that was given to them was ripped away. It was a really frail, fragile mode of operation. And it calls into question where we get our honor from. And Jesus tackles this through all of the Gospels as well. Now, we live in a cultural moment where identity is key, and a person's identity is of highest value to them. And I think that it's a good thing, because it creates a cultural moment that the Christian faith and the church can speak into, because the Christian worldview presents a framework of identity that is based in what God and who God says you are. It's not an identity that can be taken away from you. It's not an identity that can be legalized or legislated away from you. Instead, it's an identity given to you. You are worth the extravagant love of God. You carry the image of God. You belong to the family of God. You are saved. You are loved. You are redeemed. And you are rescued by God. You are precious in his sight. You are the apple of his eye. And the brilliance of this is that it's not an identity that you have to earn or debate over or strive for or convince others of. It simply is. And instead of having to scramble for honor from others, others who are just as broken and desperate and scrambling and hurt and hurting as we are, Jesus presents the different way. He promises that he is with you. He sees you. He values you. And that he will never turn his back on you. He promises that he is with you to the very end of the age. And if you ask me, that seems like you would be very important to him if he offers those promises to you. So the final point today is that circles are better than lines. 
Jesus, he regularly invites people who don't belong. It's his own mode of operation. Immediately, it's a great message of hope for us today because I bet many of you who are listening have felt that you don't belong somewhere. You felt moments of insecurity or unsureness, and Jesus stands there amongst the crowd and says to them, to all the outcasts, the ones who don't belong, you are with me. And notice who he tells the Pharisee, the prominent Pharisee, to invite at the next dinner. The crippled, the lame, the blind, the poor. People that simply didn't socially belong at the dinner with the elite. And if they were to join the meal, they would feel wildly out of place. But Jesus doesn't create these lines that keep people out. He creates circles and invites them in. He specifically invites those who are told by the world that they are not welcome, that they are not allowed to be here. He moves the chairs around for them. He adds the extra leaf into the table and he gives them the seed of honor that they have never sat near, let alone sat in. And there's a verse in the New Testament that I've become particularly fond of over the past few months. It's a paraphrase and it says that Jesus came to take care of the sin problem Not just for you and I, but for the entire world. It's a circle statement. He came to take care of the sin problem, yes, but for the whole world. The offer of his forgiveness is not limited to a certain people group or a certain demographic. It's not limited to those with the right education. It's not limited to those who have done enough good things already or haven't done too many bad things so far. The offer of grace and the offer of forgiveness It's offered to everyone. It's offered to people like me and and people like you. So what do I do and what do you do? What do we do with this story and these points? Our story is one of a dinnertime confrontation about Sabbath and honor. And we learn first that people matter to God, second, to question where our honor comes from, and third, that the circles are better than the lines. I think we need to remember this word, freedom. And when I say freedom, I don't mean like a nationalistic rights and freedoms kind of freedom, but a freedom from what holds us back or what holds us captive. The entire story starts with the overarching theme of the Sabbath, a weekly reminder that the people of Israel are free. It lands into the idea that we are free because we matter to God. and Because of that, we find our value in him and not from others. And now we're free to enter the circle, to join the table because of him. And today, today you're free to be free from the weight, from the guilt, and the shame of your sins. Free to be free from evil in this world because of the person and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The key to all of it is Jesus. Maybe today you have questions about him. Great. Because he's not afraid of questions. It seems throughout the Bible, actually, He welcomes them. Or maybe today is a day where you need to take a step of faith and freely receive his love, freely receive his grace and forgiveness. We'd love to talk about that with you just if you want to reach out to us at the church. Or maybe you need to speak to a trusted person who's taken that step themselves. Or maybe today you follow Jesus and you need the reminder that I am free. And that's a great thing to remind ourselves of we walk through these difficult days. I invite you to pray with me together. God, we thank you for your love for us, for your grace and mercy in our lives. Thank you for making a circle big enough to include someone like me. 
who carries brokenness, hurt, and shame. And you bring and you give me freedom instead. God, help us to see and to receive your freedom today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for joining us today at Clearview Community Church Online. Now, if you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about anything that we spoke about today or anything going on at the church or have anything to discuss at all, we'd love to have you contact us and you can connect with us through our website, clearviewcommunity.church. God bless you and we'll see you next time.